Well, what's up and welcome to week three of On Mission with Jesus. Why is this series called On Mission with Jesus? Let me tell you, but first I gotta welcome some people. We wanna welcome all of you launch teamers who are joining us on mission with Jesus in our city right now. Welcome to all of you from around Chua Vista in San Diego who are dropping by to check out online service today. We want you to know we see you, God sees you, and we are glad you're here. Finally, welcome to all of you who are scattered across the nation and still hanging on, enjoying us, and joining us for the ride along the way. Now, why is it on mission with Jesus? Because we've got a mission this new year. COVID has been a massive interruption for families, for our day-to-day lives, for our work, and it's been an interruption for us as a church. But we're deciding to choose to see this interruption as an opportunity. We're deciding that instead of just waiting and reopening and hoping people come back, we want to relaunch momentum in 2021. So our goal is simple. We want to relaunch, not reopen. If you're a momentum person, I don't want you to think of yourself as somebody who's waiting for your church to reopen. I want you to think of somebody who's anticipating the day we relaunch momentum better and brighter than it's ever been before. And that's kind of our why, honestly. Our why is simple. We've got several reasons we're doing this. We have a gospel opportunity to reach new families with the hope that's found in Jesus. We have the opportunity to refresh and refresh ourselves and reintroduce ourselves to our community. And finally, a deeper faith and a tighter bond. This is an experience that is going to grow us both closer to God and closer together. Now, I want to be quick today, so I'm going to dive right into our passage. Jesus is preaching the greatest sermon of his life. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He's opened with Beatitudes. That's those statements about who is blessed and what a blessed life in God's eyes truly looks like. And then he stops in the middle of the sermon. He looks at his followers and he says to them these words, You are the salt of the earth, But if salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'll tell you a story. You've probably heard this. If you've journeyed with me a while, you'll know this is going to make it into a sermon at least once or twice a year. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't, but in college, my job was a, I was a waiter or server at a Chinese restaurant. It was the Mandarin Garden in Normal, Illinois, and I am thankful for that place to this day. One, the, the great time that I had working there. Two, all the sermon illustrations that have flowed from this place, but I'll tell you this one today. Now, When I worked there, I got to emphasize to you how broke I was. College, my income, my revenue that covered all my expenses came from serving egg rolls for a living. And on top of that, I had a huge goal in mind. See, I was dating Britt, who's now my wife at the time, but I wanted her to be my wife at the time. Or She's now my wife. She wasn't my wife then. We were dating, and I wanted her to be a fiancé because that would mean she would eventually be my wife. To do that, I needed one thing, and it was expensive. I needed a ring. And let me just double down on the fact that I was a broke 
college kid at this time. I'm not joking. There's a phrase around the Almond House, and I'm not proud of this, and don't, don't hold this against me because this was pre-COVID, guys. There's a phrase around the Almond House that says, nothing tastes as good as an egg roll that's been in your apron pocket for two hours. And the phrase is because I was indeed so broke that occasionally we'd serve the egg rolls on these plates and then people would take the egg roll with, with fork or their hand and put it on another plate from which they would actually eat it. Meaning, if you cleaned up a table and there was an egg roll on a plate, nobody had necessarily touched that egg roll. And if you were quick enough with sleight of hand, you could slide that into your apron pocket, take everything back. Now, the problem is... Our, our, the owners of the restaurant knew that we would often do this, so they were always watching for you know, these young kids slipping egg rolls or whatever else came from the plates that was untouched by the other people. And so there was one place, there was one place in the Mandarin Garden when you were walking between the kitchen to put the dishes away and the waiter station where no one could see you. And you had three steps to get that, that egg roll from the, your pocket to your mouth. You walk in, put the dishes away, chew that thing up as you turn the corner to go back out and wait on a table. You got I'm not proud of it. I'm just telling you that's how my life was. Now, I'll never forget the day I was waiting on this table. They were clearly Christian people. They had prayed before their meal. They'd done their best to be kind. They're a little awkward, but still, I, I got, you know, I got the Christian vibe from this table. Now, they didn't know anything about me, my life, or that I was in Bible college desiring to be a pastor. I could have been anyone to them. They go about their meal, and I'll never forget, I come to pick up the check after they had paid. You know, typically, you know, you need that tip, you know, to survive. And when you're a server, you just get tips are important. You need that. And so I, I come around as they're walking away from the table. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a $100 bill sitting on the table. Now, I'm thrilled. And I know etiquette, and I know that I can't grab that thing while they're walking away and dance my way down the tables behind them. I, I got to play it cool, and so I just casually start bussing their table and putting things away. I wait till they turn the corner. I grab my $100 bill, and in an instant, my fortune has changed. I get a hold of this bill in my hand, and I realize it's not a $100 bill, when in fact, it's actually a $100 bill gospel track. Now, if you're not familiar with gospel track, let me tell you what I'm talking about. It is a cardboard or, uh, you know, that shiny, you know, what the heck is that stuff? Cardstock. It's shiny on one side. Looks like a 100 bill on one side. And I return it over to read a message that says, you know what's better than $100? Finding salvation in Jesus Christ. There are riches in Jesus that you can't even imagine. Do you know where you'd go if you went to hell tonight? And I was appalled. Because I'm sad to tell you, the little $100, fake $100 gospel track was the only thing left on my table that day. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Do you think that made me love Jesus more? or less? Let me ask another question. I think you know the answer. If I had not been a Jesus follower, if I had not been a Christian, if I didn't know Jesus at all and I came to a table and on the table some Christian family had left me no tip but a hundred fake hundred dollar bill with a message about where I'm going to go when I die, do you think that would cause me to change the direction of my life? Yeah, I don't think so. Which brings me to the E word. The E word has fallen on hard times recently. The E word is not only unpalatable to the 
unreached world around us, to people who don't know Jesus yet, the E-word has become unpalatable to Christian people themselves. You're probably ahead of me. It's the way the church has gone about the E-word that has done just about as much harm as good. Some of you already know where I'm going. Type it into the chat right now. If you know what I'm going to say, you can guess. Go ahead, type it. I'm talking about evangelism. Now, evangelism is a good concept from the life of Jesus in the pages of Scripture. Evangelism means good news sharing. It shares its root word with euangelion. Euangelion is the word for gospel. Gospel means good news. If you are to euangelio, you are good news sharer. That's where we get evangelism. Trust me, it's a great thing. God had great intentions for his people to be people who carry the good news that is found in Jesus with them everywhere we go. For some reason, though, when we get to this, this is where the church keeps screwing things up. Pastor Rick Warren out of Saddleback Church in Orange County said this. He said, Satan has done such a great job tarnishing the word evangelism that, oh, not only, not only non-Christians avoid it, the church avoids it. I mean, think about it like this. When I say evangelism, what comes to mind right now? What images? I think some of you think of a televangelist, the guy who pops on TV and says, if you send me some money, then God's going to bless your life and I'm saving up for a jet, so call in soon. And it's ruined the word evangelism. Still others have been on college campuses or out in the Gaslamp District and seen somebody with a sign and a megaphone and a message about how everyone's going to hell. And this isn't what we want to be associated with. I mean, think about your own life. If I said, hey, tomorrow morning, guys, I want everyone to meet me at Target at 9 a.m. We're going to go and do some evangelism. What sort of emotions rise in you? Probably not good ones. You're probably not looking forward to going to Target that day. Now, what's happened? To be honest with you, the answer is pretty simple. I had a mentor teach me this one time a long time ago, and I unearthed it for today. It's simply this. When you go about Jesus' mission, which is what we intend to do, that's evangelism, to share hope is a good thing. When you go about Jesus' mission, but you leave behind Jesus' methods, the results are always undesirable. When you go about doing Jesus things, but you don't do them Jesus' ways, it always leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. Did you notice when Jesus walked the earth, he was surrounded by people who are nothing like him. People who are nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. When I sit down next to somebody on an airplane and I tell them I'm a pastor, they all but ask to be, they have their seat changed. Now, what's happened here? Well, it's years and years of people trying to do Jesus things, but not doing them Jesus ways. Now, let me tell you about Jesus in evangelism. When Jesus talked about spreading hope, when Jesus talked about spreading good news. He never said, your job is to go to work, find somebody, get over by the water cooler, talk to them, and ask them, you know, bend the conversation from what everybody's doing this weekend to, to where they would go if they died and their eternal security. See, Jesus never said to do that. 
Jesus never said, leave behind, you know, notes on the back of phony $100 bills and hope somebody reads it. Jesus never said, get the right bumper sticker. Jesus never said, join the culture war and just try and to harass people into believing what you believe. Jesus spoke clearly about evangelism. And when he did, he said this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's do some Bible study, you guys. The first thing I want you to notice in this passage is the identity and the authority. The identity language that Jesus is using here and the authority through which he speaks it. Go to those next ones for me. This is the identity language. This is the authority language, okay? Let me check in with you, okay? This is King Jesus. He's leader, we're followers. He's king. We serve in his kingdom. He is before all things, and through him all things are held together. He was there at creation. He is sustaining us now. He's in charge, and we're not, and he doesn't make suggestions here. Rather, he speaks to us about who we truly are. And when King Jesus says something is true, of you it is true indeed what does he say of you and of me he says you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world now it's crucial that we understand that jesus begins with identity because identity always shapes activity think with me some of you know this you know this because one day you too drove to the hospital and and you, you were wheeled in and there was two of you but then after a few days you were wheeled out and there were three of you you went in as a couple and you came out as a family your identity in that moment switched to parent it switched to father it switched to mother and when you switched your identity when you inherited that identity it shaped your activity you started doing mom things you started wearing mom things, going mom places. You went to bed at parent times. Your identity shaped your activity. Come on, you get this. You remember that day. You walked down the aisle. You became husband. You became wife. You started doing husband and wife things. You made the team. You are now a football player, a lacrosse player, or a volleyball player. And you started doing volleyball things. Your identity shapes your activity. So when Jesus says, hey, church, you are salt and you are light, it means we are to be doing salt and light things. Now, Matt, what does salt and light do? Glad you asked. Let me get to Jesus's original intention in this passage. Salt makes things better and light makes things brighter. Now, let's break this down. I never thought I'd say this in a million years, but I miss chilies. You heard me. Chilies, the restaurant, baby back, baby back, baby back ribs restaurant, the little pepper that glows on a Friday night, leading you into a place marked by great 
ice cold Diet Coke and a basket of chips and salsa with boneless buffalo wings. I love Chili's and I miss it. I miss going to Chili's specifically for their chips and salsa. You guys, I'm a connoisseur. If you ever need a layout or somebody to give you the lay of the land in San Diego County when it comes to chips and salsa, I can tell you where to go, but you'll be shocked to find that Chili's is in my top three. And here's why. They serve those chips piping hot. I mean, they come out of that oil into a basket and straight to the table. Now, we love, whole family loves Chili's chips and salsa, but we all know when that basket lands on the table, there's one step left before we, go get, before we get to eat the chips and salsa. And the whole family knows. As a matter of fact, I was doing message prep this week. I was like, I wonder if the whole family knows. And so my kids were playing outside. I pulled them in. And one at a time, I said, I, I took Bear. Bear, what is it? When we get chips and salsa, you know chips and salsa? Yeah, I know chips and salsa. You know chilies? Yeah, I know. He's four years old. I said, Bear. When we get chips and salsa, what is the first thing we do? We put salt on them. He got it. Now, why do we put salt on the chili's chips and salsa? Because salt makes things better. You know that. In a world where herbs and seasoning and spices are reserved for nobles, and really one of the only ways you flavor what you eat with salt, there was no question in this culture that salt makes things better. Now, light. Light makes things brighter. Now, here's the deal. I'm not wasting your time today convincing you that light makes things brighter. You know that. But I want to give you something else that Jesus had in mind when he brought this up. I want you to observe where the light is supposed to be. He says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Light is meant to shine in dark places. That's what he was saying. As a matter of fact, people would have been laughing so hard at Jesus. That was humor in his message. He says, you don't light your lamp and then put it under. People would have been in stitches at that moment. <laughs> no. He goes, well, yeah, and I don't fire up Jesus' flowers and stuff them in a building never to shine outside its walls. Light is meant to shine. It's meant to make things brighter. A great, you want a great self-eval here, you should just ask these questions. Would your neighbors say that you make the neighborhood brighter? Would your co-workers say you make the work environment brighter? When you show up at a social gathering, is the gathering brighter because you're there? Hey, don't, don't confuse me. Don't think I'm just talking to extroverts right now. If you just go and have coffee with somebody, and you share life and experiences and stories, does the other person walk away from the encounter brighter? Our light is meant to shine. This is why there was a man named Peter. He was one of Jesus' closest followers. He went on to write some letters to churches about what he'd seen in Christ, and he addresses the Christians saying these things. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Do you know what the assumption here is in Peter's voice? The assumption is that Jesus' followers are living lives worth asking about. How do you live a life like that? It's simple. You look at the world around you and you make it better 
and brighter in Jesus' name. You look at the world around you. Look, here's what I love. It's 2021, and even with quarantine and isolation and all this stuff, we are still busy people. Jesus doesn't even say, hey, I need you to add something to your schedule. I need you to go new places and do new things. He says, I want you to go where you already are with my mission in mind, carrying the identity of salt and light. You go to play group, knowing that your job there is to make it a better and brighter play group. You go to your team knowing that, yeah, I'm here to play ball, but I'm also here to make this team better and brighter. You go into work and yes, I'm here to accomplish a specific job, but as I do so, I'm going to make the lives of the people around me better and brighter in Jesus' name. That's what Jesus had in mind when he talked evangelism. And the outcome, as Peter's driving at here, is people are going to ask. And we are to be prepared. But let's just stop and make sure that we are living lives that are worth asking about. Let me ask you, are the places you go, the people you interact with, your work environment, anywhere else you find yourself, are they better and brighter because of you? Have people stopped to ask you what's different about your life? This is Jesus' plan for evangelism. Now, let me wrap things up with a what if. What if it really is this simple? What if it really is as simple as you and I going into the world that we already find ourselves in and just using our passion, our heart, our love of Jesus and our creative creativity to make our neighborhoods, work environments, and places we find ourselves better and brighter in Jesus' name? What if you don't have to worry about being an expert in the authenticity of Scripture, the inerrancy of it, uh, the, the historicity of the resurrection and the existence? What if you don't have to have all the facts straightened out? What if you never have to have another awkward conversation in your life? What if you never have to go to church again feeling guilty because you didn't have any intentional conversations this week? What if your job is, as you are fueled by the Holy Spirit, you make the world around you better and brighter and you're ready to talk to somebody when they ask you, what if it's that simple? My experience would seem to tell me it is. In this photo here, the young lady in the yellow is Jessica Cantrell. She and her son Asher are just beloved Momentum family members. And this picture was taken a little while back, shortly after she was baptized by her neighbors. I'll tell you the story. It's incredible. Jess moved here uh, as, as a part of the Navy. She was sent here by the Navy for a three-year stay. And this is her and her son, Asher, around the time they got here. Now, the physical context or setting of the story is this young lady working for the Navy as a new mom, a single parent, a long ways from home, figuring out how to raise a son. But if I could show you the emotional setting of this story, you would see it was marked by tension, great fear, and anxiety. Because after being here for a short amount of time, away from family, in a whirlwind, figuring out how to raise this baby boy by herself, she's got to report to work. The only problem is she hasn't found childcare that she could actually afford or trust. 
was a young lady all alone. She did all she knew she could do. She kind of tarried on showing up where she needed to be. But some of you guys know the Navy, the anxiety and the pressure begin to mount and people start saying, hey, you have to be here. You have a role to fulfill. She's saying, I'm doing my best, but I don't know what to do. And the situation is tense. And then Travis, Dina, Bevan, and Kendall Daniels move in across the park at the enlisted housing development that's just off Otai Lakes Road. And they're getting themselves settled right around the time Jessica's trying to figure out what to do. And the family loves being outdoors. They spend all kinds of time outside saying hello to everybody in the little park behind their house. And sure enough, Dina stumbles upon Jess with her baby boy, Asher, and they start to talk. And, you know, there's those times in life when you need an ear so badly, you don't care who the ear is. You just got to get some things off your chest. Jess finds herself in that position. Hey, Dina, how'd you get here? Oh, here's where we're from. Here's where we're going. Here's my job, your job. How you doing, Jess? Well, I don't know what I'm doing because I got to find somebody to watch this kid and I'm stuck. And Dina says some words that would change everything. A couple simple sentences. Oh, we love babies. We'd be glad to watch them. And that's exactly what happens. And wouldn't you know it, some time goes by and childcare turns into some shared meals together. Shared meals together turn into some barbecues. Barbecues turn into hikes and hangouts and all sorts of things. And then finally, Jessica, not the Daniels, Jessica, not Travis, Jessica, not Dina, asks a question. One day at a dinner, she looks at them and she says, why are you guys treating me like this? To which the Daniels say, because that's how God has treated us in Christ Jesus. To which Jess said, can I learn more about Jesus? To which the Daniel said, absolutely. To which Jess said, where do I learn about Jesus? To which the Daniel said, at our church. To which Jessica invited herself. All because they simply sought to make her life better and brighter in Jesus' name. So momentum. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love you guys. Have a great week. Peace.